Hello, everyone. Welcome to this Biomass podcast. My name is Elisa Schenerdem. I am editor of the Argus Biomass Markets Reports here in London. And my guest today is Alex Comerford. Uh, he's founder of the Susta Sustainable Pellets, uh, which is a brokerage firm uh, with a focus in uh, wood pellets and other wood products in South America. And uh, our uh, topic today will be South America. We're going to talk about uh, the wood industry there. Uh, what are uh, what is the potential? What is uh, the the current situation with the capacity, etc.? We are going to explore that region. Uh, but first of all, uh, Alex, uh, welcome to this podcast. Uh, thank you so much for attending. And uh, yeah, I'll let you. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. Uh, thanks for the the introduction. Let me just give you a quick summary of what we've been doing here in South America and why we're, we're sort of positioned here. So Sustainable Pellets is a brokerage firm. We've been uh, involved in the brokerage and trading of wood pellets basically since an inception, so around 12, 11, 12 years now. In the last five or six years, we've definitely focused a lot more on South American origin. So that goes for wood pellets, uh, wood chips, and also logs to different markets that we're, we're serving now. Yeah, that is fantastic. Thanks again, Alex, for joining me in. Let's start uh, our discussion. Uh, I first wanted to ask about the Brazilian companies. They've been looking into opportunities to ramp up capacity to serve uh, European and Asian biomass markets. What is the, the current uh, capacity in Brazil? And uh, is there anything that differentiates Brazilian pellets from other regions? Sure. No, that's a good question, Larissa. So um, when it comes to Brazil right now, uh, as it stands today in terms of existing capacity going to the industrial market, there really is only one large facility, which is located in the southern part of Brazil in Rio Grande. I think that company is probably selling around 350,000, 400,000 tons per year um, into, into the UK. And outside of that, uh, sadly, we've seen sort of three or four projects over the last 10 years, none of which have, have yet to come to, to fruition. So when it comes to industrial pellets, that's really the, the main facility that's, uh, that's pushing volumes in, in that direction in, in large vessels. And the rest of the production today is both A, extremely fragmented into smaller facilities and B, completely focused on the residential markets. Now, why? And that's mainly because they're built with pine as their main uh, as their main fiber um, and this is related to the forests and uh, the areas in which they're located so if we have a look sort of geographically at those plants I don't have a map to show you but we could say that you know sort of 95 percent 96 percent of these plants are all in the southern part of Brazil so from Sao Paulo further mm -hmm. south this mm -hmm. is where the main let's say pine plantation wood is um, and also where a lot of the, uh, the sawmill industries are. So um, when it comes to fiber, this is where most of them are procuring from. Um, and why in the past being quite small facilities, they focused on 15 kilo bags in containers, either to mm -hmm. Italy or other, you know, the slightly higher paying residential uh, markets. So um, there's probably around 250, 300,000 tons of that production. Um, so that's a lot of containers, it's a lot of bags, but it's really, really distributed geographically all over the southern part of Brazil. So there's some mm -hmm. small hubs, but ultimately um, it's pretty spread out. Um, those companies today, you know, you have facilities that are doing maybe 25, 30,000 tons a year to the slightly larger ones who are more like 80,000 and perhaps one or two with that closer to 100,000 tons. So it's a bit of a, a bit of a mixture. The, the facilities are very different in size, but not in nature. They're all focused on residential markets using, you know, pine as their as their fiber. Yeah. Um, 
and focusing mainly on on bagged and, and container products. I see. That's all very interesting. You mentioned in the beginning of the conversation that the industrial uh, pellet uh, projects have not been uh, successful and uh, to come to life. Uh, what's the reason for that? And uh, going forward, what? Uh, how do you see Brazil's potential? Do you expect capacity to increase in the in the future? Yes, yeah, so I think I think we probably all agree that Brazil has a huge amount of potential in terms of its well. First of all, its fiber basket. It's uh, cost competitive, um, you know, in terms of distance to ship to European and Asian markets. It's not all that fundamentally different versus, you know, the, the, the US or the Southeast US uh, or Canada. Um, so in principle, there's a lot of a lot of potential there. I think there's a number of reasons and each project in the past has been slightly different. Um, but I think what, what they have in common is, uh, first of all, they're very, very large scale uh, projects, which is great in terms of taking advantage of the fiber available there uh, and the scale. But ultimately, those types of projects require a lot of capex um, mm -hmm. and financing is often very difficult without a very long term structured offtake into either Europe or Japan. And I think that's been made, you know, mainly the, the the bottleneck, the ability of some of the larger offtakers to go out in a very long-term contract, which then in turn helps provide the security for financing that these projects need and the ability to invest, you know, large amounts of, uh, of capital to get things going. But I think everything else is, is in place. There's no other reason that stands out to me as to why they haven't been successful. The fiber is there, you yep. have world-class ports, you have, you know, functioning uh, internal or domestic transport systems, you know, uh, capacity, technical capacity is obviously there in terms of education, in terms yeah. of manufacturing equipment that's available. So I think really it's it's more related to financing and structuring of the financing and how that affects the offtake and, and vice versa. That's uh, That's been the main challenges. But I think there's, there's definitely a lot of potential. There's a few projects out there right now, one in particular that's been in the pipeline for, for some time, but still with, with huge potential. Um, and the scale of these projects is, is really what I think they can, they can provide um, in terms of differentiation versus, you know, anywhere in North America these days. I think that the capacity, fiber being there to go to, you know, one, two, three million tons worth of production, just one or two plants is, is incredible. And I think that will keep it interesting, especially as we move into a world of, of BECs and other potential projects could really, really start to consume a lot more pellets or fiber than they are consuming today. So the potential is there, but I think the, the main bottleneck up until now has been financing and the structured offtake. Right. When would we expect one of these uh, big projects to come online, you reckon? I think it, I think now uh, the next uh, let's say the next milestones that we need to get across in order any of these projects to really get off the ground is is clarity on on the Beck situation in the UK specifically um, yeah. because I think in turn that's going to affect the ability of that and other buyers to to go really long term with their offtakes if they can provide the length of term then I think these projects will will come to fruition a lot easier than they are at the moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, that makes sense. And I think all eyes uh, in the biomass market now are on uh, uh, BEX projects in the UK or in continental Europe. Uh, so let's hope we have some clarity on that sooner rather than later. Um, so I was also curious to, to know where, w what are the other hotspots for wood pellets in Latin America? 
Sure. So right now, <clears throat> I'd still say capacity in Latin America versus its potential is is quite limited. But in terms of potential interesting large scale fiber baskets that could go, um, you know, into pellets for either Europe or Japan or, or any of the other Asian markets, um, you know, you have numerous options. So Chile is is probably the most obvious one. They have a very very well established forestry system there. They've been exporting wood chips uh, and logs for many years. They have huge pulp projects locally, lots of sawmill industry. So um, I think there's a lot of potential in, in Chile. There is already an existing capacity of around 100,000. Um, mm -hmm. And I think in the future that could that potentially grow maybe three or four times. And then if you follow up on, on the West Coast, other countries such as uh, Ecuador or potentially even Peru, again, uh, sawmilling industries, fiber available, very well suited to, to Japanese or to Asian markets because because of the freight and, and their direct uh, that direct route. There is a new project um, underway right now in, in Colombia, first one um, up in that part of the world for around 100 to 150,000 tons of pellets in, in, its, in its first phase. This project is in the financing stages, but progressing very, very well. I think we'll see more in Brazil as, as we, you know, as, as time goes on, both for industrial and for the residential. The residential market has, has since, you know, we've gone through the situation with the Ukraine and, and Russia, has focused a lot more in Brazil. So Brazil, I think, in the, mm -hmm. in the past, maybe been, you know, sort of 20, 25 percent of the overall market. And today it's definitely a, a lot more. And people with the freight prices as they are right now being quite low, especially for containers. Um, really, really moving to Brazil for, for more volume. So you see more buyers there, more plants cropping up. And I think with the sawmill industry, when it gets back online a little bit stronger than it is right now, we'll begin to see more and more plants there. So nothing huge when it comes to residential, but we'll definitely see further further growth. And then if we move further south, um, definitely Uruguay and, and Argentina, they both have huge amounts of potential, large fiber baskets, well suited to the European market geographically. Um, so I think in the future, we'll also see developments there. Speaking of Argentina, you used to be based there, but now you have moved to Uruguay. So uh, what what took you there? What took you to Uruguay? Sure. Yeah, so we, I, yeah, I lived uh, and, and the company has been based almost now, uh, what I've been almost there 20 years in, in Argentina. And in recent months, finalized a move that was taken place over the last couple of years to to Uruguay. So there's a number of a number of reasons. Argentina is a wonderful country with huge potential, fantastic people, um, and and was great to me the years that I lived there. But I think it's it's also it's also quite a complicated country uh, from an economic perspective. It's uh, it's pretty chaotic, especially this year with with um, a new president potentially being voted in. And so when uh, you have elections, there's there's a lot of yeah, it's quite a chaotic country. So no, as a, as a family, we decided to move to Uruguay. We thought it would be a a slightly nicer and more, uh, let's say, a slightly quieter option versus Argentina. Culturally, mm -hmm. it's very similar. So it wasn't a huge change in that sense, but also great opportunities uh, for business with the forestry sector that they have over here. It's, uh, you know, very, very organized, well-established, very large investments here from all over the world. Um, and, mm -hmm. and actually one of the few countries that has been very, very good in growing its forestry uh, business and, and the coverage of plantation wood, both eucalyptus and pine. So when it comes to, you know, new capacity of forests in order to export logs or uh, timber products or pellets or chips, 
um, I think although it's a small country, it's probably one of the ones with the largest uh, opportunity to to you know really develop more more exports in the future. So it's been a great move. Uh, we're very happy there as a as a family, um, but also a very good spot for for businesses to incorporate. It's um you know very uh, organized and well established country in that respect, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's been a positive one. Yeah, I'd also like to. Uh, that sounds really like a lovely move there, and yeah, I'm I'm really happy for you. I also wanted to ask about the other types of biomass because I'm aware you've been more engaged with the world of pub ch- pub chips and uh, sologs uh, recently. Tell us, tell us more about that. Sure. So there's a you know it's it's difficult to to summarize because there's just so much, <laughs> uh, and within each country there's there's a lot of uh, variety of uh, of products from uh, agri residues to you know the traditional chips that say wood chips made from either whole logs or or clearings. Um, if we focus on agri biomass, I think there's a huge opportunity there, uh, and I think South America mm-hmm. is probably quite uniquely placed versus other origins uh, to serve, you know, international agri residue markets, be it Europe yeah. or or Asia. Yeah. If you go to Brazil, there's obviously huge, huge abundance of uh, bagasse. I know we haven't seen many successful large-scale plants just yet, but there's a huge, huge amount of fiber there just waiting to be taking advantage of. Um, You also have, you know, traditional agri-residues, you know, peanut hulls, uh, sunflower husk. You have, especially in Brazil, uh, a lot of different uh, tropical fruits that have seeds and stones and skins that can also Mm -hmm. be taken advantage of, such as acai seeds and, and other bits and pieces that you perhaps wouldn't normally see. So uh, olive olive stones, olive pits, there's really a little bit of everything in, in Brazil. So I think, you know, with, with investment, there's a huge opportunity there if uh, if markets can continue to to absorb this type of product, both from a price perspective and also from a, from a quality and physical perspective. So Brazil is well-placed, but you find all different types of uh, material that I think could be taken advantage of all over Latin America. But when it comes to wood chips, um, all of the countries that we that we mentioned have have potential for supply. And if we focus solely on the idea of wood chips for biomass, all over Brazil, Argentina, Uruguay, Chile, going on to the other side, uh, Ecuador, Peru, and up to Colombia, you know, there's this this huge amount of fiber that isn't being taken advantage of today. So you will find the high end pulp quality chips. It's a well established trade that is going to Europe and to Asia now for 20, 30 years, or perhaps more in some locations. And then you have, let's say, uh, slightly lower grade fiber, be it uh, logs or, or logs with bark or clearing wood that can be taken advantage of as well. So I think. Huge, huge potential. And why is it that Brazil right now is, you know, supplying some volume of biomass into European utilities and not a lot more? I just think it's a case of European companies getting a little bit more comfortable dealing with Brazil. I think there's big concerns around Amazon and cutting down native woods, which mm-hmm. really is what these biomass producers are, are looking at doing or, or are focusing on. We're talking about plantation wood or wood that has been um, you know, there, there's no other value for it and taking advantage of old forests that have no markets um, or clearing wood that is normally thrown away or left. In the case of Uruguay, there's around 10% of the harvesting, which is just left to to dry or to biodegrade um, organically over time. And so there's huge amounts of fiber, but I think people find it a little bit difficult, first of all, to transact with South America, which I think over time will change. And then secondly, it's about SBB, FSC, having the right certification and the right chain of custody in order to be able to supply 
large utilities, and that's improving. Yeah, beginning to see more and more wood chip producers looking to have a biomass angle to their business as well, and not focusing solely yeah. on pulp markets, which right now is is actually quite a good option. Biomarkets are relatively strong for chips, whereas the pulp prices right now are are horrific, and a lot of people are slowing production um, of their, let's say, their their high-end quality chips. So, you know, I think there's there's definitely opportunity there for more biomass chips from, from South America. It just needs some support. It needs good offtakes to support investments. Um, yeah. But the potential is there, the fibers there, the ports are there, the right producers are there. And as long as they go through the right certification and are able to comply with Red 2 and all the rest of it, then then over time they will be, they will play definitely a much larger role in the in the consumption of wood chips, I'm sure, uh, for the European utilities. Yeah, as, as so that's all so interesting. And uh, I also wanted to ask on this point, as we all know, there, there's been a massive cut in fiber supply out of Russia and Belarus following the, the start of war uh, from last year, sadly. And companies, particularly companies in Europe, which has been hit hardest, uh, and countries have been trying to find new sourcing regions. Is uh, South America one of these regions? And uh, how how do you think that has overall, or how do you think the the impact overall will be in the longer term for from this? Sure. So I think South America is definitely um, you know over over time going to play a larger a larger role in in all of these uh, markets. And I think now people have really been forced when it comes to pellets, people have been forced to look for other markets and find other origins. And Brazil, with a small capacity, is already on the map. Therefore, growing that will be you know uh, will will come naturally over over time. And when you look at things like uh, well wood chips for for biomass, we just discussed huge huge potential there. And I think as a result of some of the larger, like you know, the Russian forestry, or um, some of the other countries, will see um, definitely a lot more focus on on people trying to to find long term structured agreements whereby they can buy this type of fiber from Latin America. Yeah. Obviously, one of the big challenges that we will see is is freight and how that plays out. And of course, no one has the crystal ball there right now. It's something that might that might work quite well. And so the ability to be sort of flexible on that aspect as well, I think, will be critical in terms of really, really focusing um you know the ability to buy from from south america is it can it can fluctuate a lot everywhere but of course the distance is definitely longer than a lot of other countries so it's something definitely to take into into context yeah i hear you the the industry uh, deals with that every single day i guess um yeah volatility in freight is one of the things that everyone is uh, keeping a, a an eye on let's Talk a little bit about China. We've seen uh, more recently higher, much stronger interest Chinese uh, of Chinese companies in in South American woody biomass. Are are you seeing similarly, and and why do you think that is uh, this new trend is very much so, very much so. Yeah, I think uh, over the, you know just to give a bit of context, traditionally uh, when it comes to pulp chips, be it from Chile. Brazil, Uruguay, who in the past Ecuador, which have been the main suppliers of fiber in terms of pulp chips for pulp production um, into Asia. Uh, traditionally, Japan has been the big the big market there, and let's say has had maybe out of anything going in that direction, around seventy percent would always traditionally go to Japan and thirty percent to China. Over the years, that is mm-hmm. that is 
simply because of more pulp capacity coming online in China and the growth that we're we're likely to see over the next few years is yeah I mean it's 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 startling the the volumes that they they, they will need to consume in order to um, you know run these these huge huge pulp plants that are coming online over there so that mix has definitely changed it's probably around 50 50 today between China and Japan so China mm-hmm. is definitely taking a much more active role in purchasing fiber from from this part of the world it always has done but they're doing it now on a much larger scale there's more competition the volumes that they're buying is significantly larger one of the challenges that i think a lot of the producers find is that you know this is the people would love long-term offtakes into this business but unfortunately it's kind of more like uh, there's some long-term relationships but it's it's almost handled on a on a yearly basis um, with specific pricing yeah. parameters that come into play over over time but it makes it difficult because now you know that's always been the case with with their traditional markets and then you have new buyers larger buyers coming online to play to play in that role who are also extremely exposed to pulp prices so for example right, right now is it could be no more you know perfect example of, of you know the difficulties that, that this market has is that when pulp prices are very bad as they are right now you know people latin america is the one to suffer out of all of their origins um latin america is probably the one who will first suffer because right. it's the furthest away uh, geographically, so you know, if you look at a traditional pulp buyer, they're buying chips from uh, South Africa, from Australia, from New Zealand, and uh, a little bit from Europe and and South America. Um, and so, you know, when they have uh, slow production and want to receive slightly less wood chips, then Latin America is the is the first to suffer. And so, a lot of producers right now are dealing with not cancellations, but people postponing volumes, people pushing right. volumes further down the line. And when you have a mill, you know. The only way really to make money is to is to keep the thing running at full capacity all the time, 24-7. Um, and uh, OK, you can store wood chips outside, but you still need a lot of physical space to to handle this. And obviously, the longer you leave them, quality can deteriorate. So there's a challenge there. Um, but I think yep. the new capacity in China for wood chips will also help support growth on the production side as well be it Argentina, Uruguay, Brazil, or, or Chile. I think right now we're sort of more or less balanced, but with the projected yeah. demand that we have in China, they will need to ramp up production as well this end to, to serve it. And not only hardwood, which has been traditionally their uh, their main focus with eucalyptus, but also softwood now as well. So um, mm-hmm. that, that might change things a little bit, given softwood markets um, domestically, both in Brazil and Chile are, are pretty strong. So there's a strong solog market. For uh, for storing timber, there's pulp yeah. projects locally that consume pine, so that will be that will be interesting to see if China can really um, you know find the volumes it's looking for, unless they also invest upstream a little bit more, which is probably the most likely step. Up until now in Latin America, they have investments, but but small ones when it comes to pulp capacity and production. Mm-hmm. But over time, that will that will change for sure. It's the only way that they're going to be able to secure the volumes. That- Need. Yeah, it's very interesting you say that. Yeah, it's interesting that they haven't invested and they're mostly buying, but the potential is all there and they might as well opt for that. Yeah. Uh, so I take it that uh, pulp and paper, Chinese pulp and paper sector is the key driver here, demand-wise, from Asia, Correct. A- Correct. along with Japan. It's- Yep, yeah, both both are um, you know consuming uh, very large volumes of, of fiber from from this part of the world. Um, mm-hmm. And like I said, 
uh, we are also the the first to first to suffer. So you will see it in in places like Vietnam this year, where again a big producer of wood chips um, being the closest uh, geographically to China and Japan. Um, they've obviously grown. They've grown a lot. There's a large, large production capacity over there serving those markets. But even they, um, who are right next door, have also felt you know, the squeeze. Um, and with pulp prices as they have been, they've slowed things down as well. I would say they've probably shipped this year half of what they would do in a normal uh, in a normal year to China and Japan. Um, and there's no immediate signs of, of that change. So a little bit concerning. Um, but I think these things are cyclical and it will it will come around in time. But yeah, even countries, you know, as close to uh, China and Japan as uh, Vietnam, Thailand, Malaysia, that are also producing wood chips are, are feeling it as well. That's very interesting, actually. And I wanted to come to that point because, you know, Chinese demand for wood chips, uh, particularly from the pop sector, has also affected the Vietnamese Bahamas market. And yeah, their, their strong demand in recent years has meant that there was less raw material left uh, in, Vietnamese, in Vietnamese markets for, for pelt production. And that yeah. has had a direct impact on, on, on pricing, uh, Bahamas prices over there. But it seems to have fallen silent so far this year, which is probably for for the number of reasons that you counted there. What's the outlook? Do you, do you see a change in the near future? Well, the I think the main driver here is the capacity that China has coming online to consume wood chips. I think over time, as it you know physically comes into action, um, will 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 help support the you know the, the reactivation of the market or the growth of the market. So, I can see this being a cycle for you know the next perhaps six or or twelve months. I think there were some <laughs> expectations that prices would improve in the early part of this year. Nothing has happened so far, and there doesn't seem to be any signs that things are changing in the immediate term. Um, but I think probably towards the end of the year and early into next year, we'll start to see this, you know, prices return, uh, capacity coming online, and ultimately that that will support, uh, you know, reactivation of the of the market. But it's right, having not been so hot on consuming chips from these regions, there has been a more, you know, a more active uh, fiber market for pellets and for other types of chips for other markets all throughout Southeast Asia. We've seen it on on the pellet side, which we're active in as as, as well. So volumes that in the past would have yeah. been completely sold um, suddenly becoming available with slightly more aggressive yeah. pricing. Um, so this is a theme that we'll probably see, I would imagine, for the rest of the year. But I think ultimately will change um, as we get into uh, 2024 and beyond. That's all very interesting, Alex. Thanks a lot for sharing your insights on Asia as well. Uh, that's a very interesting part of the global market, which which is ramping up really quickly in Asia, in China, in Japan, in other countries uh, in uh, North and Southeast Asia as well. Uh, so that's much appreciated. And I I wanted to to circle back to where we started actually with this uh, discussion. I would like to know your opinion about the role that South America will play going forward. Do you see this region becoming more or less important in supplying uh, biomass uh, at a global scale? And also would other wood products along with uh, woody biomass, or uh, do you see it become a, a big player in the global market? I do. It's a good question. So I, I think it's clear that the potential is there to be you know, one of the biggest players, I would say, um, in terms of fiber to global markets, whether it be for pulp, whether it be for biomass, pellet or chip production. I think there's huge potential for development of agri-residue projects as well, given the volume and scale that we have um, of this untapped resource. 
but I think there's a few things that need to happen or develop over time to to really support that. One is what will happen with BEX, because I think in the biomass sector specifically, that will be a big driver of whether A, more pellets are bought and consumed from South America, and B, whether these projects are actually supported with long-term offtakes um, to, you know, to get them up and running. Um, mm -hmm. I also think, you know, sustainability is today obviously a fundamental piece of, of our uh, of our business uh, and the development of, of anything that we do within the biomass sector, this will be critical. This will be critical for residues, this will be critical for chips, it will be critical for any pulp projects or pellet projects in, in the region, um, especially as it's, it's something that's constantly changing and, and evolving over time, right? So the ability for Brazilian, Argentinian, Chilean projects to really get up to scale on SPB, to make sure that their fiber is all FSC, um, you know, I think these, this is this is something that's that's physically possible. It's uh, quite straightforward because the forestry is developed and advanced in this part of the world. I think it perhaps has a bad reputation sometimes, but it's quite the opposite when when you compare it to some of the the European uh, development of forestry. Where you know this is really really. Uh, world class in this part of the world on some parts of this, uh, this this region but getting people certified and in the right place to be able to comply with all of the regulations that uh, utilities require will be will be fundamental and then it's really but i mean it's for me it's just uh, a natural a natural next step i think you know you have a lot of development in in, in north america obviously you have the Baltic, Siberia, Southeast Asia, Latin America, with the fiber that it has, uh, the geographical proximity that it can have to some of these major markets, um, it's it's inevitable. But I think you know those things will have to happen and develop over time in order to really, really fulfill its potential. But I'm a big believer. Of course, I'm perhaps a little bit biased. I've lived over <laughs> many years. Um, yeah. But no, I think everything that we do in this this region will will help to, to to support these types of projects we're a big believer and hopefully over time it will fulfill its potential fantastic it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today alex thank you so much for sharing your insights on south america it's a region uh, which we talk less about uh, but of course that it's uh, it's going to change soon as as you said with uh, with all the wealth uh, in resources that the region has uh, that is certainly inevitable um i would like to take this opportunity to thank you again thank you again uh, thank you everyone for for listening this series Shenner Dem from Argus Media. Watch this space. We'll come uh, back again with other podcasts. Thank you, Alex. Thank you so much. Thank you.